is Digital Marketer. Today, it's Richard Lorenzo. Hello, and welcome to the Digital Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Snavely. And today, I talked with Richard Lorenzen, founder and CEO of Fifth Avenue Brands. They're a public relations firm based in New York. And in this episode, we get into PR, specifically Black PR, why it's a threat, how to protect your business, and most importantly, why controlling your brand's narrative is so important, even through negative press, crisis, and pandemics. If you've ever gotten a bad review on Yelp or wondered what the heck a deep fake even is, this one's for you. Here it is. Hello, Richard. How are you doing today? <laughs> hey, I'm I'm well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, it's definitely a different time right now. Yeah, it's a very interesting time for the world, for business, especially for marketers. You know, as we currently face the coronavirus that is just intensifying every day all over the world, so many people impacted. It's a real challenge for founders, for entrepreneurs, for marketers to figure out how to navigate through this new normal that we're getting used to. Yeah. And I'd love to, you know, in this interview, you know, I'm talking to you as an expert in PR, but there's also a crisis management element Mm -hmm. to PR. And I'd really love to definitely dig into that because at this point, anything we can understand is going to be great. Well, just to kind of get started, how'd you get started in all of this? (laughs) Like go back to the beginning. Who's Richard? Sure. How'd you get this started? Sure. So I run a company called Fifth Avenue Brands, and we're a full-service public relations firm based in New York City. So we specialize in helping clients, especially in the B2B space, with managing their media and communication strategy. And what that means is that, you know, to put it succinctly, we help clients with getting publicity to grow their brand. So if you're a technology company, for example, who's looking to get exposure perhaps with being featured in TechCrunch or being featured on Business Insider or on CNBC, we're the agency that helps you figure out a messaging plan that builds a compelling story around your brand and around your business, and then introduce that story to producers at television networks, for example, or editors at newspapers and magazines to secure press interviews and and to be able to get you exposure and, and get you media coverage on those outlets to grow your audience and to build your thought leadership. That was such a succinct explanation. (laughs) How'd you get into it? Were you always Mm -hmm. interested in this kind of stuff? Well, I started really young, actually. I'm 28 years old today, so the company's been around 13 years. If you do the math, I started when I was very young. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I was 15 years old, so I was in high school. You know, I was one of those computer nerds growing up that loved technology. I became interested in digital marketing at a very young age. I taught myself how to code when I was 15 years old and I learned search engine optimization and content marketing, or at least what was content marketing 13 years ago. And it was still Mm -hmm. kind of an emerging sector. I became very interested in it, started selling it as a service to small businesses completely virtually through the internet, kind of as a full service agency. So I was not only selling PR, but also selling services like blogging and search engine optimization and website design. 
and just started very small bootstrapping, growing organically with some small local clients. And uh, a little bit later on in high school, not too much older, I got lucky with landing a couple really big clients that became a launching pad kind of for me reinvesting back into growing the business and building a team and, and kind of just building the real infrastructure around an actual company. And at that point, I narrowed the focus of the company from full service digital marketing to just PR. My mom was a journalist growing up, so I kind of grew up around how the news industry worked and, and newsrooms. And it was an exciting business to me. Every day is different. You know, the 24-7 news cycle, as they call it, mm -hmm. moves very quickly. It's, it's a very fast-paced business. So I would say about seven or eight years ago, we made a decision that PR is where we were creating the most value for our clients. It was where we saw the most opportunity in the marketing space, and, and we decided to really focus in on that. And that really allowed us to scale the company to where we are today, where we have a team of 20. We're based in New York City, representing clients, you know, really running the gamut from small businesses doing, you know, two or three million a year in revenue, all the way up to Fortune 500 companies and multi-billion dollar companies in financial services and technology and government. So it's been a fun 13 years. Wow, that's incredible. Like when I was 15, <laughs> <laughs> I was posting nonsense to my live journal, you know? <laughs> I'm not saying I wasn't doing that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, touche. <laughs> um, so one thing that I know we're going to be digging into is black PR. Mm -hmm. And number one, I think I told this to my team, but when we were talking about the podcast episode coming up, I was like, man, that is the most PR name <laughs> for anything. It catches you. It's like, whoa, what is yep. that? That's so cool. So can you tell us a little bit about what Black PR is and how long you've been kind of working with it sure. or around it? Sure. Yeah. So Black PR, and you know, for a lot of the marketers who are listening, especially the SEOs who are familiar with Black Hat SEO, you could probably equate Black PR with some similar parallels to that, but in the PR space. What Black PR is, and the two more relatable and probably familiar elements of it would be deep fake videos and you know what we're calling fake news, which is kind of you know mm. a lot of these articles that you see get spun out on low domain authority websites that end up picking up traction on social media and they get shared and, and picked up by increasingly larger news outlets until it starts to look like actual legitimate news. When a lot of times we're finding that this was content that originated maybe, you know, in other countries, Eastern Europe, through groups that had some kind of an agenda to manipulate news, to manipulate public opinion, whether it's for interfering with an election or damaging a brand for a company or all sorts of different objectives that they might have. But black PR is essentially the creation of fake news, fake content, and using a complex, sophisticated web of channels for lack of a better term, to distribute it across the internet and to get it to a point where it's so popular and so viral that it's shared by so many people, it's hard to figure out whether it's actually true or false. And that's when it gets to a point where it ends up being shared by a lot of well-meaning people who think they are sharing true information and they're sharing real news. And it can end up doing damage to you know brands, to corporations. It can also do damage to democracies and to the freedom of information. So black PR is something that we're seeing become an increasingly serious threat in part because of the increasing sophistication of technology used to create and disseminate it. Mm -hmm. uh, deep fake videos, for example, are becoming 
more realistic looking every single day because of advances in AI and, and different forms of technology. If you go online now, you can find deep fake videos of public figures like Barack Obama. I believe Justin Trudeau and Elizabeth Warren also have some form of deep fake videos out there. So it's becoming more sophisticated. It's looking more real. It's becoming more difficult to figure out what news is real and what news is fake. And for people who work in the news, you know, such as us, as PR agencies, or even journalists who are reporting the news, it becomes a threat because we're trying to, number one, protect our clients who, you know, whether you're a company or a public figure or a politician, there can be real damage done to your brand by a deep fake video that gets posted online or a fake news article that gets spread through black PR channels. And obviously, as a reporter, it's becoming more difficult to figure out what's real and what's fake in your own reporting. So it's becoming a more serious threat. And it's something that you know we've been working, especially for these past 12 months, with our clients on figuring out a strategy for how to protect their brands. If you're a marketer, if you're a founder, if you're an executive at a company, figuring out how you're going to respond if there is a problem with black PR attacking your brand, how can you overcome that? And also before it happens, how can you make sure that you're building a strong brand that can overcome you know, some kind of false information being spread about your company? Hmm. Who do you think is, I mean, other than obviously politicians and mm-hmm. um, maybe some of those bigger companies, but as it gets more and more traction, as it seems to be a thing that yeah. works and is out there for people, who do you think is most at risk? Well, that's the thing, you know, as the technology becomes more advanced and as it becomes more accessible to a wide range of actors across the internet for a lower and lower cost to, for example, produce deep fake videos, anybody can become a victim, whether you're a fortune 500 brand or, you know, you're a small business who's maybe the victim of a smear campaign by your competitor or even individuals who, you know, could be a victim of some sort of revenge on the internet or some sort of blackmail. Because this technology is becoming accessible to you know a wide range of people. You don't need to just be a very highly trained programmer to be able to create some of these black PR campaigns anymore. Yeah. So what do you think is something that people most probably misunderstand about what is going on with these? I, you know, on the individual level, I would say that we're still at a place where a lot of people aren't familiar enough with what deep fake videos and what black PR mm-hmm. is. So they're not as vigilant about whether or not they're actually consuming it online. And that goes back to, you know, when you're reading something on Twitter or on Instagram, or you know, you're reading something off of a blog, making sure that you're taking some effort to figure out what the source of that information is and being able to make a decision on, is this something that's accurate or is it something that's not? That's going to be more and more important as we move forward. If you see a video on the internet, for example, looking at where that video is coming from, is it coming from a verified social media account from that brand? Or is it coming from the social media account of a legitimate news organization? Or is it coming from somebody else? And if it's Mm -hmm. coming from somebody else, especially news organizations that might look legit, sometimes it does take more homework to figure out if this particular outlet or this particular blog is a genuine news source. And there are places that you can use to kind of do your homework on that. There are sites like mediabiasfactcheck.com where you can go and type in the name of pretty much any blog or news outlet and they can tell you, you know, whether it's an outlet that has a history of posting fake news what the biases of their news coverage is. So you can start getting a better idea of what the sources that are that you're consuming your content from. 
Okay. So kind of the first step for just any person, regardless yeah. of whether they're a consumer or a marketer, which if we're a marketer, we're both, <laughs> yep. would be to check the sources, dig into it. I mean, obviously it's not like checking a license. We can't shine a black light and see like a little, you know, stamp mark. So what are some telltale signs? Well, that's exactly it. You know, as it becomes harder and harder to identify this, you really will be relying on the source of the content sometimes to figure out if something is real or not. You know, you can try to, for example, if you have an article and you're trying to figure out is this fake news or is it real? You know, you can look for what used to have been the telltale signs of fake news, like a lot of grammatical errors in the content or contradictory facts and statements within the content, or if it's a deep fake video, a lot of times the voiceover might sound a little bit different than the actual person that it's supposed to be portraying. But as the technology gets better, it's becoming more difficult. So really, you just have to look at where you're consuming your content from. And unfortunately, it's not an exact science at this point. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of talk about companies in the software space who are trying to create technology specifically to be able to pinpoint fake news and and deep fake videos based on algorithms and and based on uh, data mining and machine learning. So there are products and there are tools that are in the works, but there aren't any out there that are are completely reliable at this point. If you're a consumer, looking at the source that you're consuming information from is really the most important thing you can still be doing before you share something. And if you're a brand, it's about, or if you're a marketer, entrepreneur, it's, it's about making sure that you're creating a strategy for how you're going to deal with this, how you're going to build a solid brand through your own channels so that you have a strong brand identity, and then how you're going to respond if misinformation is disseminated about your brand. Mm. So let's say in a scenario that you have found that something is circulating, Mm -hmm. what are the next steps that you should take if you're affected by this? Sure. So if you're a brand and you do come across something on the internet that's fake news about your brand, the number one thing you need to do first is identify it. Identify it to your audiences and, and to your followers. And that can be as simple as creating a notification that you send out to your email list, that you post to your social media channels, highlighting this piece of information that's out there, highlighting the source, and making sure that you're making your audience aware that this is fake news and that This is something that you're working through resolving, but bringing the awareness to it and getting in front of it and being proactive about that is the first step that's really important. And then the second step is going to be how do you produce content that is going to help shift the narrative back Mm -hmm. from whatever that piece of information is back to the core message and, and identity for your brand. Because there isn't yet a universal system on the internet for reporting and removing fake news, it really becomes about taking back control of the narrative as a marketer It's more important than ever before to really be proactive about content marketing, being proactive about PR, to make sure that you're putting content out there every day that can take that narrative back from anything that's inaccurate that's out there. So would the strategies change at all if you're a personal brand and you're getting this kind of attention? The strategy is still similar in that, you know, you need to be very proactive in creating content. You can speak to whatever the specific issue might be that's being addressed, you know, disseminated that might be inaccurate. But more important than that is creating a large amount of content that you can use to take back the narrative. So that means being proactive about reaching out to reporters, getting news coverage around the narrative and and the messaging that you want the narrative and messaging to be built around, creating more social media content that takes back that narrative, 
engaging influencers who can help amplify that narrative. Unfortunately, because of you know how early we are with the threat of black PR and with fake news and the deep fakes, the only real defense is still a really strong offense. So you have to go out there and you have to create a lot of content. You have to be very proactive about taking the right steps to build a brand. Mm. I wonder if there's a lot of small businesses out there listening that are thinking, well, if I don't create content and stay out of the limelight and just go with the word of mouth or foot traffic kind of referrals, then maybe I won't ever have to worry about this. What would you advise them? Well, unfortunately, it's it's just too late, you know, because we now live in a digital age. And if you're a small business owner, if you're a marketer, you know, whether you want to be on the internet or not, your business is going to be on the internet. And there's going to be people who talk about it. So, you know, if you allow the vacuum of the internet to kind of control the narrative around your brand, it can be a pretty dangerous thing. Even outside of the conversation of black PR and, and fake news, you could just take the example of just online reviews. You may have 2,000 customers who love your product and are raving fans, and word of mouth could be working great for you. But you could have that one customer who's disgruntled and goes on to Yelp or they go onto some website and they put up a couple bad reviews. And if you're not proactively putting out a lot of content that controls the narrative around your business, when people Google your business, they're still going to see mainly those negative reviews. We're at a point where you kind of don't have a choice. You have to be proactive about controlling that messaging. Even for an offline business, for example, even for you know small mom and pop businesses who rely on word of mouth, you can't really escape the fact that the vast majority of consumers, of B2B buyers, go to the internet when they want to research a purchase decision that they're going to make. And what they're seeing come up on Google is having a really big impact on whether or not they decide to buy that product or service. So even outside of the Black PR conversation, controlling that narrative has never been more important. So let me ask you this, just as an example, I have a friend who is an influencer and they went very viral Mm -hmm. and that virality turned very negative. After like the initial like, oh, ha, that's so funny and cute. Mm -hmm. It became a, oh, is this really cute? And Mm. like spiraled out of control. So Mm -hmm. then anytime you Googled this person's name, it showed up with the situation that happened. Mm -hmm. So kind of getting into this like crisis management, other than just creating tons of content, is that kind of the best you can do is optimizing? So here's the thing. If, If you put something out that ends up backfiring down the road, right, and it leads to some kind of backlash or criticism, you know, step one for crisis management in a situation like that is if you do think that that position is damaging to your brand, And the reason I say that is because, honestly, there are some brands that thrive off of controversy. But if you decide Mm. that that position is detrimental to your brand, you have to get out in front of it and apologize and clarify. That would be the first step. So you have to go out there. You have to apologize. You have to take a public stance on the fact that you you screwed up and that you learned from it and you're going to do better in the future. And then you follow that up by taking back control of the narrative, by creating more content that's in line with your messaging. and consistently putting that new content out there. So in those types of situations, it is still important that you get in front of it in terms of acknowledging and apologizing, because otherwise you come across as just being kind of tone deaf, which is something you want to avoid. So on the idea of just leaning into it, you know, kind of becoming that heel Mm -hmm. 
for those of you who are wrestling fans, mm-hmm. <laughs> people who love to hate the heel, right? Connecting that back with Black PR, you know, in what instances are you giving? Well, <laughs> I definitely get what you're getting at. Is some Black PR okay if all PR is good for certain brands? Yeah. It's a million dollar question, you know, and it really depends on the particular brand that you have. If you have a brand that thrives off of controversy and, you know, you kind of subscribe to the strategy of all publicity is good publicity, that can sometimes work, but it still even that strategy typically works best when you're the one who's leading that PR effort versus other bad actors who are out there with, mm. with bad intentions, spreading misinformation about your brand, because that becomes a slippery slope and, and you don't really know where it ends. It's really a decision that you have to make as a brand based on your specific objectives as a brand, who your audience is, you know, what you're selling and what the current environment is. But you know, eight times out of 10, nine times out of 10, even in those situations, you still want to be the one controlling that narrative. And if you do a press interview, for example, and it's controversial and it goes live and it goes viral and it creates a lot of negativity or a lot of backlash and criticism, but that's your position and it's true to your messaging, that can sometimes be okay. That would be one of those instances where sometimes bad PR can still help grow a brand. But what you don't want is bad actors in another part of the world who have no connection whatsoever to your brand's objectives, spreading fake information. Most of the times that would be bad. So you you still want to find a way to address that. You know, we represent some controversial influencers as well. And even in those instances, we don't typically want bad actors just blatantly spreading false information. Yeah. So really it's about having complete control over your brand. And at the same time, having values that are loud and represented, Mm -hmm. even if it, you know, in some cases values like we donate to charity. It's like, that's great. And then there's other values that might be more polarizing. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're controlling it, then yep. that's you, what matters. You, you have to know your values and you have to know your audience. And if you're staying true to those two things and they're congruent, a lot of successful businesses are built off of controversy or what one might think of as controversy. But it's really about resonating with who your audience is. And if you look at politics or if you look at you know certain corporate brands or challenger brands who take more of an edgier approach to their marketing, you can see a lot of examples of brands and people that kind of use a controversial message to resonate with large groups of people who share their values. So that's a strategy and that can be done effectively, but it needs to be an organized strategy. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. Well, let's kind of dig into crisis. So there's, you know, a difference between crisis, like my brand is falling apart and crisis, like the world is falling Mm -hmm. apart, which I think we're all experiencing now. And what have you been doing lately? What have you been up to? Sure. So, you know, because we represent such a wide, you know, diverse group of clients in tech, whether it's software companies, investment firms on the finance side, policy clients, education, healthcare, you name it. We're dealing with a lot of clients who are impacted by you know the coronavirus debacle that we're going through right now. And it's been a pretty grueling couple of weeks. Obviously, you know, for anybody who works in crisis management, this is a really busy time too. Um, you know, this is when our clients need us the most. So w- what have we been dealing with? 
the number one priority has been making sure that our clients find an effective way to communicate with all the different groups of audiences and, and publics that they have. That includes communicating with your customers about how the coronavirus crisis might be impacting the delivery of your products and services, communicating with the media about how the coronavirus is impacting your industry or maybe how it's impacting your specific business. Obviously, the media is covering this extensively from every possible angle you can think of, whether it's the impact on education, because we're seeing a lot of people homeschool their children. Uh, we have a client in the homeschooling space, or obviously the impact on healthcare and on, on hospitals and nurses, all the way to the impact on real estate and financial markets. So as the company communicating with the media about how it's impacting your industry, it's a great opportunity in some ways to be able to use this as a way for you to become a leader in your industry and be a voice for what's happening in your space, in your vertical. It's a great opportunity to build thought leadership and to be able to kind of be a light where there's not a lot of light right now and to talk about how your industry is going to move through this crisis and come out stronger. So we're helping our clients communicate with the media, communicate with their customers, in some instances, communicating with investors on how this crisis is going to impact the business in the long term. So there's never been a bigger demand for effective communication and figuring out how to craft your messaging in a way that it effectively communicates what you need to say and that it gets in front of the right people at the right time to achieve your business's objectives. And as a business going through this or, or any other crisis, the most important thing is to make sure that you're communicating frequently with keeping your different publics and stakeholders up to date on what's going on and then looking for the opportunities within that. While you're containing the damage, look for opportunities where you can kind of separate yourself as a leader and you know do the right thing for your industry, do the right thing for your community. If you're in the position to do so, find ways that you can give back. So those are all different things that you know we're helping our clients address right now during the coronavirus. Yeah, I think those are some good points too, is one, finding a way to first take care of yourself and your customers. And then from there, finding a way to inspire and lead others. And then from there, finding a way to give back to others. In regards to messaging, you know, I think we're kind of going through different stages of this. So I'd say in the beginning, the first stage was kind of like, people wanted you to acknowledge that it was happening, yep. right? They wanted to hear that you were doing something about it or that you had your eyes on it or anything. Now, obviously, it's a worldwide pandemic, so people are kind of tired of maybe hearing about it. And then it became a, here's how to handle yourself during yep. it. And now, where do you think we're at? Um, that's exactly right. You know, in the beginning, it was, you know, this is happening. And so it was helping our clients communicate that this is happening and, and what was going on in their industry. And then it kind of reached a peaking point. Maybe it's safe to say we're at a peak, but I don't know yet in terms of news coverage, where there's just this huge demand for content, every sector you can think of, about how coronavirus is going to impact it both in the short term and in the long term. So helping clients with speaking to that and trying to make sense of what this means for their industry over the long run. And then you reach a point of saturation where the news is just so negative and, and so scary and everybody's scared. And then it becomes, you know, is there any good news that's happening in this whole thing? Are there any bright spots at all? 
And fortunately, we've been able to help our clients find some of those, even if it's just instances of people working together to help each other through it, but being able to highlight some of those positive stories and that good news. But you know where it goes after that, it's really hard to say, because at this point, this is dealing with an economic situation that's driven by a non-business variable, You know, because this is a public health crisis, first and foremost, and that's an unpredictable thing. So, you know, maybe it's over by the summer, you know, like some experts are saying with the warmer weather, you know, maybe we flatten the curve and and the situation improves, or maybe it lasts longer. And then that impact on the economy, on people's mental health, you know, social distancing for such a long period of time is going to kind of determine where we go in terms of the flow of media and content and, and how businesses have to react to it. But I think where we're at now is a lot of businesses are trying to figure out how do we adapt to this situation if it's going to become a very long-term situation. In other words, if it's going to potentially last for the remainder, or at least the majority of the remainder of the rest of 2020, how do we pivot our business model so that we can adapt to this? Whether it's a more remote team, whether it's a more remote product or service offering, if we're in the event business, how can we still help people connect and build strong connections virtually? But I think you know we're at a point now where businesses are kind of coming to a realization that this is a long-term situation and how do we pivot this way we can go on and continue thriving throughout this crisis. Yeah. What are some pivots that you have particularly been inspired by or what are some things that your own clients have been doing? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we've seen everything from, you know, obviously events that are moving virtually, you know, lots of clients that host big conferences. And then we have clients who are in the event management business trying to figure out ways that they can not just bring conferences into the virtual sphere, but also create opportunities for people to connect in smaller groups and have real connection with other humans while we're going through this social distancing period that we're in. So I think human connection is going to be one of the most important things that comes out of this that, you know, a lot of clients are focused on whether they're in the event business or whether they're in, you know, any other kind of business. You know, we have clients in healthcare who are trying to figure out tools that they can create online to help people deal with loneliness and anxiety and mental health issues while they're going through social distancing and isolation. So really the human connection aspect is, I think, what a lot of people are working on. And in some ways, it's bringing people closer together because you could argue that uh, human connection maybe has been on the decline for a long time, even before coronavirus because of technology and, and other distraction. And now that we're actually separated, there's a much greater appreciation for that interaction. And whether it's you know virtually or otherwise, we're trying to find ways that we can really foster and cultivate that deeper connection among teams, among groups of people, events. Um, So we're seeing a lot of human lessons come out of this for sure. That's such a good point too about how we were before feeling. I mean, we've seen all the memes before about, you know, looking at your phone and stuff like Mm -hmm. that instead of actually connecting to people. But at the same time, now we're being challenged to find a way to make that feel intimate and meaningful. And I think it's going to be an interesting mm-hmm. time. I mean, it's yeah, already it's, has been. <laughs> it's, it's going to, you know, in the short term, this obviously creates a lot of pain on the human side, on the economic side. But in the long term, I think it's also going to lead to, you know, new industries that we see develop out of this whole situation that we're in, new ways for educating kids, new ways for bringing teams together remotely, 
so I do think there's going to be some interesting innovation that comes out of it. Sometimes the best innovation comes out of hard times like this. Yeah, I hope so. And I hope to find a way to bring a lot of sectors that were previously purely physical into mm-hmm. the virtual space and give them those opportunities yep. also. There are a lot of businesses even today that you know were still not fully integrated digitally, and maybe this helps them get there which in the longer term would probably be better for small businesses all around. But unfortunately, this is you know a painful, hard learning curve to be able to have to implement it right now. Yeah. So getting to the top of the hour, where can people find out more about you and more about Fifth Avenue Brands? Sure. So you can visit Fifth Avenue Brands at fifthavenuebrands.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Richard Lorenzen. Uh, you can also send me an email if you have any questions about PR, you know, branding, combating black PR. You can email me at rlorenzen at fifthavenuebrands.com. So feel free to reach out. Awesome. And for the last question of the day, if you, Richard, could go back in time and tell former you, the you that was 15 years mm-hmm. old and making websites mm-hmm. and getting into all this business stuff, if you could go back in time and tell yourself anything at all, Mm. what would you say? I would probably say to be more patient. You know, founders as a whole, we have a tendency to be very driven. Everything has to happen immediately today, very results driven people. And, you know, if, if you're doing the right things every day consistently and you're taking the right small steps and doing the right actions, you know, all that stuff does compound over time and, and sooner or later it leads to success without having to beat yourself over the head with it all the time. So I would say, you know, be more patient, just keep doing the right things every single day. And, you know, over time you're going to see the results. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah, that little 15 year old. <laughs> things turned out okay. <laughs> <Little guy. laughs> I'm so impressed though. That's incredible. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. And this is some really good information for sure. Likewise. Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks for having me. And for everyone that joined us today, as always, it means so much to have a little bit of your day each week. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. Goodbye. Hey, DM listeners, if you're running a Black Friday or Cyber Monday special, listen up. Because Digital Marketer just released our Canva holiday promo pack. It includes almost 200 templates that you can use to make the graphics for all your upcoming holiday specials and three unique design themes for each holiday. The promo pack is usually $27, but you can get it today for free. Check the show notes for the link to download, or you can go directly to digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates. That's digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates.